everyone, and welcome to another episode of My Climate Diet, the podcast where I'm shedding the pounds of greenhouse gas emissions. I'm Lisa Pettibone, and I'm not just a sustainability geek, I'm also a book nerd. So today I'm going to talk about books, how many I've got, and what I'm going to do about it. So as I said last week, my husband posed the challenge for us until our birthdays in the summer that I would not buy any new books, any new books for me. That means no used books, no new books, and he cannot buy any more DVDs until his birthday. So I thought I would look at what that means for the climate. Buying a new book, according to How Bad Are Bananas, emits about one kilogram of carbon dioxide. Now, this varies widely from 60 grams to two kilograms, but one kilogram is about what we can guess for a new book. A used book, for practical purpose, I'm going to say is carbon neutral, at least if you don't drive to the store to buy it. Last year, I bought or acquired about 20 books. I bought most of these books new, but I found a few, got a few off of Bookmooch, and bought a few secondhand. Even if I were to highball it, emissions are 20 kilograms for all of the books that I acquired last year, or about 10 boxes of eggs. In other words, practically nothing. So sadly, giving up books and giving up buying new books doesn't really affect my climate bottom line at all. For those of you who are more digitally inclined than I, just as an FYI, an e-reader has 50 kilograms of embodied emissions, which means it becomes more climate friendly after you read about 50 books on it if you were to buy them and throw them away otherwise, which is not really how I go through books. I have an e-reader that I used maybe 10 years ago, but since digital rights management, I have let it basically sit on the shelf because I really don't like how you have to buy uh, ebooks by the provider of the e-reader and they're not all compatible with each other. But that's neither here nor there and not a subject for this podcast. For my husband, he agreed to buy no more DVDs. What does that mean? A 2014 analysis by Shahabi and colleagues in Environmental Research Letters calculates about 60 grams of embodied carbon dioxide in a DVD. What they also found was the biggest carbon emissions are in the viewing, which is over 100 times that of the production emissions. But if you were wondering, the purpose of the article was actually to compare the climate impacts of streaming versus DVD viewing. They found that all viewing options are roughly equivalent, but can change based on two factors. First, if you drive to buy or rent your DVD, it becomes more polluting than streaming. On the flip side, if streaming servers run on renewable energy, then they become significantly less polluting than DVD viewing. And as I said before, one of the biggest factors in both is what they call the device use. So this is the emissions that are created by running electricity to use your DVD player or your streaming player. I suspect my husband bought about 30 DVDs last year, which would be something like two kilograms. Not that bad at all. 
it was funny when I told him this, he said, well, it sounds like the most climate friendly is to not buy any more books, only buy DVDs, but then only read books. Because reading books obviously is more climate friendly than watching movies. But again, both of these are a drop in the bucket in terms of emissions. I'm talking pennies on the dollar here. I'd have to stop buying books for the next 50 years to save a measly ton of carbon at my buying rate. So why am I even talking about it today? And that's because this challenge isn't really about saving carbon. It's also about testing myself. Let me explain. Last week, I talked about how all my challenges last year tended to not affect or even improve my quality of life. I talked a bit about how important it is to find climate actions that don't focus on deprivation or abstinence. And now I'm doing just that. And that's the test. In general, I'm a pretty bad consumer. I hate buying things. I really hate shopping. And I don't feel a need for most of the gadgets and gizmos peddled in stores. But my main weakness is books. I will go into a bookstore with no plan other than to just browse. And almost invariably, I end up with two or three books tucked under my arm. When I walk to work, I find my eyes always heading over to the outside racks of the secondhand bookstore that's on my way. And yes, I have popped in a couple times to get impulse buys there. I won't buy clothes or electronics on impulse, but I can leave a bookstore pretty much guaranteed with something in my bag. So forcing myself not to buy books will help me test my theory about deprivation and quality of life. I mean, what if forcing myself not to buy books makes me happier? Then that throws my main lesson from last year on its head. And it also might give me more ways to talk about the idea of climate action and deprivation, because this is a key challenge that climate activists have to deal with always is this sense of, yeah, well, if we do what you say, then we're depriving ourselves, then we're giving up things we love. Well, maybe that's true. But maybe that process of giving up something makes your life better. I don't know. That's the test here. And there's another thing to think about. As someone who's sort of addicted to books, I have a lot of them around. And it's gotten to the point where the sheer number of books in my possession is becoming a source of stress. We don't have enough space for more books, as all of our bookshelves are crammed even two or three deep, often with more books lying horizontally across the ones already filling the shelves. And because I keep bringing new books into my life, I found it hard to get around to reading the ones already here. My book problem mirrors something we see increasingly in society, the problem of too much, so much that a good thing is becoming a problem. So my no new book challenge will free me up to read some of the books I've bought over the years with the best of intentions, but which have been gathering dust since then. This is the goal of the Unread Shelf Project, started by a woman named Whitney in 2017, to stem the flow of books coming into her home and start actually reading them. In a nutshell, you start by counting all the books you own and haven't read, put them all in one place, and get to reading. 
say, one book a month. The project is has exploded on Instagram. I'm not a member, sorry, so I can't say much about that, or bookstagram, as they like to t- call bookish Instagram. But if you want to challenge yourself for a whole year, you can take part in monthly challenges, like reading a book gifted to you or the shortest book on your shelf. January's challenge is easy, and you still have a little bit of time. Read any book you like off your unread shelf. I read Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, which was absolutely amazing. I'm not the biggest fan of the new Daily Show host, but his experience growing up as a mixed race child at the end of apartheid in South Africa, it tells itself And beyond that, he has an amazing gift for finding the funny and the touching in very politically charged and bizarre stories. Part of Whitney's plan for 2020 is bi-monthly book buying bans. That means every other month, she's not allowed to buy books. And she wrote a great blog post about how that's helped her read more. Basically, she says that now when she wants to read a book, she goes to her bookshelf, picks something, and starts reading. This seems obvious, but it's a big change from before when she'd want to read something, she'd go to the store, find a few great looking books, buy them, and then move on to the next order of business. She found that without the book buying ban, she would spend more time buying than reading. I'm going to be joining this project this year. Drop me a line if you decide to join as well. And go to theunreadshelf.com for details. What else can you do? If you want to cut down on your book print, that would be your book footprint, get books from the library or trade through a lending library, a book party with friends, or an online platform like Bookmooch. Bookmooch is one of my favorite examples of the true sharing economy. You mail your old books to people who want them and can request new-for-you books from the site's vast community. No money changes hands, but you can find new books a home. I just mooched The White Tiger a few weeks ago and also an amazing, amazing book. Thanks for listening. Last week, I sat down to chat with the ladies of Zawa Clouded, a German-language podcast about DIY and sustainability issues. They wanted to start their own climate diet. So we talked about what I've learned since starting my climate diet. I gave them some tips for after they step on the scale. And I talked about what personal emissions are all about. You can give them a listen and especially the new episode where I'm the guest at zawaclouded.de and on your standard podcatchers. What's giving me hope this week? Emily Atkin is a climate journalist I really respect. So I was sad to hear that she left the New Republic, but then happy that it was to start a newsletter about the climate crisis called Heated. The idea is to get more excellent, in-depth reporting about current climate issues to those who care. So I've started subscribing, and she already got me into yet another podcast, Drilled, the Mad Men of Climate Change. Now, this podcast is already in its third season, so no doubt many of you have already heard of it, but this was new to me, and it gave me hope. As bleak 
as the outlooks of both heated and drilled are, it's giving me hope that journalists are trying new ways to get the message out. We're coming to the end of January. Next month, I'm going to look into degrowth. I bought a great book last year that I've barely cracked since by Matthias Schmelzer and Andrea Feta, Degrowth slash Postwachstum, an introduction. Yep, it's on my unread shelf. So it'll be nice to use my book ban and this podcast as an excuse to finally sit down with it. I'm going to talk about degrowth as a philosophy and how it relates to climate action. And then I'll talk about a climate diet 101. First steps you can take if you're starting with a huge footprint. This is going to be a great one, maybe not necessarily for all of you who are listening now, but a great one for you to gift to your friends who might be just starting their journey. This podcast is a labor of love, and you can show me you care by telling me why you listen at lisa at myclimatediet.org. Thanks to David from Quince for letting me use his wonderful music. And if you want to stay up to date, follow me on Twitter at Lisa Pettibone. And don't forget to rate My Climate Diet on Apple Podcasts. That makes it easier for other people to find me and start their own climate diet. Because if everyone went on a climate diet, it wouldn't be the end of the world.